Hi, welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present on History.org. This is Behind the Scenes, where you meet the people who work here. That's my job. I'm Lloyd Dobbins, and mostly I ask questions. A new world's worth of virgin soil meant that 1700s colonists could plant their crops in a brand new field each season. Agriculture specialist Wayne Randolph is here to tell us how the approach to American farming has evolved in the years since. Uh, well, I'm absolutely positive you can't plant in new virgin soil every year. <laughs> not around here, uh, not now, but at one time that was possible. And in this immediate vicinity of Williamsburg, that would have been in the 17th century, probably the mid-17th century. Uh, I have always been told that one of the reasons there was a westward expansion for the Virginia colonists is once they discovered tobacco, they had to move, not every year, but fairly frequently, because tobacco would sort of wear out the soil. Is that true? Yeah, it is true compared to other crops. It's a pretty hungry one, perhaps the most hungry of any of that I can think of. The range that we have historically is anywhere from two to maybe six or seven years of successive planting on one piece of ground. Now, keep in mind that a worn-out piece of ground is a subjective term, and it depends on what you expect from your ground and your crop. If you are seeing your crop get smaller and smaller, your tobacco leaves get smaller and smaller, and deem that not due to poor rainfall that season or an unusual population of insects, but rather to fertility issues, then you would come to a point where you would make the decision that my tobacco is not big enough. I need to put it on stronger soil. And that would be the time that you would then clear a new piece of ground, virgin piece of ground, and put your next year's crop in that ground and continue monitoring that until you made the decision that it was not adequate. How important was tobacco to the uh, 18th century Virginia? Very important because it was almost always a commodity with a high demand for the reasons we would suspect. And therefore, it normally commanded a superior price at the marketplace. If we could provide what was being uh, demanded, primarily by the tobacconists of England and Europe, if we could meet those demands, then we could sell our tobacco for a superior price to any other export item or even domestically produced item that we might generate from the soils. So it was... Uh Kind of like cash, really. Yeah, it was lucrative. It was lucrative. The an inordinate amount of time that we invest in producing tobacco is paid off at the marketplace. If it's not, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do it. We would select something else. So um, uh, it actually did become cash because it could be depended upon to generate money abroad. Um, it was that predictable. Now, the price varied, but it tended to be standard during certain times. And so we would actually um, equate many debts in tobacco. 
there was a good demand for tobacco normally through most of our colonial period. So uh, essentially, uh, a man and his family who came here to get rich, uh, by and large, became a farmer. Generally so. And uh, we find here in Virginia that even tradesmen, people with a trade, would come here, and that trade was often uh, in demand. But it was not unusual for tradesmen to be seeking land acquisition and going into farming and leaving a trade or practicing a trade on the side. Uh, How much time did tobacco take compared to other crops? You said... Inordinate amount of time. Inordinate amount of time. We only have so much labor and so much time that we can tend crops. And it's usually when we can see. So it's a long day and a long week, long months. But tobacco, uh, to produce high-quality tobacco, requires a lot of human intervention. It's somewhat like growing a field of tomato plants. If you've ever grown a a tomato plant, or another uh, garden plant that requires you to be manipulating it and handling it and and examining it and overseeing its development. It's like that. So that we are in our tobacco a lot of our uh, waking hours, particularly during that season when it's in the field and it requires us to, for example, inspect every leaf once a week. Hmm. That does take time. Uh, you said worn out was you know, a subjective term. Mm-hmm. Was there any sort of crop rotation you could do that would take tobacco land and mm-hmm. refertilize it? So We understood uh, crop rotations. They had been employed in Europe for centuries. The Romans did. So it's not that we didn't know uh, what to do. We didn't have to do it normally. But when we do have to do it, and that does occur in this neighborhood around the time of the Revolution, actually, uh, in in those years, the second and the third, uh, actually the third and fourth quarters of the 18th century, we are wearing ground out. And those that want new ground have to move to the West and do, as we've discussed. But... um, Uh, we could rotate crops, and we were beginning to do something else more often, and that was manuring our ground um, rather than rotating, uh, say, like a leguminous crop like clover into one of the rotations um, and then a a low-feeding crop and then a heavy-feeding crop, a three-part rotation. Uh, Some people were doing that. There's some evidence for that, but much more for manuring and that was generally done by cow penning or penning a, a concentration of cattle in one small area. They deposit the manure heavily and then they move to another adjacent uh, piece of ground uh, and are penned there. And then we would plow that manure into the soil. That was the most common way when we were uh, fertilizing soil to do it rather than rotating crops. But crop, crop rotation did occur, and peas and beans would have been one of those because they were a marketed uh, crop. They had value on the marketplace, and we exported a good number of them. Mm-hmm. Now, you said you, you pinned cattle on the land. You wanted to manure. Mm-hmm. 
When I was a boy, there used to be a manure spreader mm -hmm. that a tractor would pull. So nothing like that in those days. Yes. Uh, that was another way. If we did not pen our cattle, then we could go to the pasture. If we had a pasture and did not put them in the woods, which was very common to do. If we had a pasture, we can uh, direct labor, invest labor in picking up that manure and gathering it together in a pile, moving that pile via carts onto the ground, and then distributing that onto the ground or in a hill where our plant grows in, in, in an artificial effort. But it was an effort that would not pay if we had new ground, because new ground was always preferred. So, yes, we would do it that way. wouldn't be a mechanical distribution, which would have been wonderful. Mm -hmm. didn't quite have that. We were not there in our technological development then. But we could get it gathered and distributed uh, by hand. Shoveled. In that, in that way. Shoveled or forked. Yeah. Uh, if a mechanical distribution system wasn't available and you had to do a lot of labor by hand. Mm -hmm. What sort of equipment did a farmer have in those days to help him? The most common equipment, of course, were hand hoes. That was absolutely essential, and that was really the heart of our technology, was hand hoes for cultivating ground and raising hills. Uh, by the 18th century, uh, horse or oxen-driven plows, pulled plow, turning plows, were fairly typical. So we would add that to our soil preparation uh, efforts. So we would have draft animals to help us. Originally, we started as the Native Americans with hand hose. We did most of our work with hand hose through a good portion of the 17th century. But we would employ the uh, European technology, generally it's thought when we begin to do a lot of commercial wheat, which is a European material, and it's prepared and handled in a European fashion. So our classic Native American whole hill culture, focusing on tobacco and corn, is pretty much human labor. But we can overlay that with European technology, uh, and we did so. So we had a mixture. By mid-18th century, we certainly had a mixture of technology. So those are the two main. Um, we had a lot of simple uh, harvesting technology in the form of reap hooks, sickles, and scythes, which, again, were human-powered. We had very little animal-powered uh, machinery. Uh, plows and carts are about it. Harrows, of course, to smooth out the ground after we turn it. Some simple hand knives, um, some riddles or sieves. Um, but agriculture was essentially hard work. It was hard work, and it was it was human labor, human muscle labor. So that that is yeah, that would not be something that attracted you unless you had a uh, a profitable crop. That's correct. That's correct. We found when we came here uh, in, the, in the early 17th century, looking for an industry, looking for a path to personal wealth and profit, 
uh, first through the company and then later independently. We were looking for something to do, something that would make income. And we tried a number of things, but the one that actually turned out to be the real resource of North America was the soil. And, of course, that's farming. And the selection of crops to farm commercially was by the demand and the suitability of the climate. That put us into tobacco. We tried a number of of crops. Uh, We also had um, our forest resources, which were very uh, uh, abundant, and our waterways also produced things that we could extract and sell. And that's really the focus of our economy. That's Colonial Williamsburg, past and present this time. Let us know how you like this week's show. Leave your feedback at www.history.org slash podcasts. Check back often. We'll post more for you to download and hear.